Tonight we are launching this series, A Better Story, which is it's going to be good. We're going to go through the book of Galatians, chapter by chapter. Each week we'll, we'll look at, there's only six chapters, so six weeks of uh, digging into this book and uh, exploring the what's going on and how it can help us for today. And so, um, as I mentioned in our dinner church last week, if you're there, uh, we uh, this this book of Galatians is actually initially it is a letter letter written from the apostle Paul, uh, and he was writing to a group of churches uh, in the area of Galatia, and uh, he was trying to address a particular situation. Now we have to remember that this is in our Bible, and it's important and has significance for like how we read and discover God is in the Bible. But it was initially first off, it was a letter written for a particular purpose, written for a particular people. And so I love to just dig in and try and figure out some of the meaning behind the words and not just take it at face value, but actually explore what's really going on in this book and try and learn how we can apply what is going on uh, for our lives. Uh, but first, let, let's, I'm just going to pray. Thank you, Jesus. You're amazing. Thank you that you're here, God. Thank you that your presence is here. And God, I pray that you would speak to us tonight. We're here not just to kind of hear good words. Uh, I mean, you know, average, okay words. (laughs) Uh, We're here to experience the presence of God. We're here to encounter you, Jesus. We're here to encounter the living God who is so real and just alive for us. God, I pray that you would come and reveal yourself to us tonight, that wherever we're at tonight, whether we feel kind of just on fire and excited about God or whether we feel a bit distant from you, Jesus, I pray that you'd be so real for us tonight, that you'd speak to us. I thank you that you are here. Uh, We don't do this on our own. But you're with us. We thank you, Jesus. You're amazing. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, this year I've been on a journey of uh, learning how to run properly, <laughs> run kind of more legit. And um, uh, I, for probably the last couple of years, have kind of been on a journey of building my fitness. Uh, trying to be better at, you know, doing that fitness thing. And uh, it was this year that uh, Pastor Ben Gould from Hepburn Heights was like, I'm going to run a marathon. And I was like, you know what, why not? Let's go for it. And so we set a goal this year. Still haven't done it, but we're aiming to do a marathon still this year. Uh, And I started kind of, I only prior to this year was just doing five kilometer runs and and under. Um, But then this year kind of took it to another level. And what I love about this, this journey and process of uh, running is that probably give it you know three years ago I would say I would say to myself that I wasn't a runner I, I would say that you know one of those people that I just don't run like I never ran as a, as a kid I you know don't have long legs and I'm not a natural kind of running kind of person I'm not like Michael Hooker who just naturally just runs out and does incredible things but I I I just would say you know I'm I'm not really a runner. Uh, and it wasn't until like I took it seriously and go, you know what, I, let's just change this about me. Let's change this, this story about what I have about myself and actually go, I'm going to determine and, you know, push in to being a runner, being someone who runs and, uh, 
and you know you, when you start running it's not enjoyable at all every step is painful and just not exciting uh, but the more you do it I, I guess the more you're just like yeah this is nice this is okay it's still difficult it doesn't you know it doesn't just get easier but it's uh, enjoyable there's something that about it that is nice and I, I, what I've enjoyed is just this narrative about myself is changed this narrative what I thought and said over my my life I'm not a good runner, I'm not a runner, has actually shifted. And this is what we see happening for the people of Galatians, that there is a better story, a narrative that our culture, that our world kind of says over us and, and declares, and, and we grow up in a narrative. There's so many stories that are around us, but what the gospel continues to do is transform those narratives. Where the culture tries to say you should act and live a certain way, what the gospel calls us to do is continually transform that and change that for Christ and change that for God. And so uh, we are going to look at this, the letter from Paul to the people of Galatia uh, and explore how, um, yeah, how God is calling us into a better story, into a story that is better than what our culture is telling us, but is calling us into trueness of life, the fullness of life. Now, um, Paul here, as writing this letter, he is extremely concerned about the gospel. He, he has given his life because Jesus has personally, he has personally encountered Jesus and he was totally radically transformed by the power of Jesus and now he lives his life sharing this good news of Jesus. He is so concerned about Jesus and how he, Jesus continues to call us and rescue us from our present evil age of which he references. And so we're going to go through chapter 1 and, and explore uh, some of what is going on. And so if you've got a Bible, why don't you turn there? We're going to Galatians, people. I mean, it'll be on the screen, but why not just have it on you? I know we've all got it on you. If you don't have a Bible, you can download one on your, on your phone. But you can also bring one with you if you want. And I don't think anyone has brought a Bible with them. I didn't even bring mine today. So there we go. This is church today, guys, in 2020. Everyone has the Bible on their phones. Um, but that's okay. <laughs> it's still good. It's still amazing. Uh, here we go. Galatians 1, verse 1. It says, Paul, an apostle, sent neither by human commission nor from human authorities, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the members of God's family who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to set us free from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever Amen. Here we have the introduction of this letter. Here Paul is writing, introducing kind of what is going on. And already we see some key themes of what is going on in this letter. He, Paul is already addressing his authority. He's, he's coming, hey, I'm, I have not been sent from human authority, but I have been sent from Jesus Christ, from us as believers. I've, I have the authority not of, of human recognition, but of from God, the spiritual recognition. He is already trying to kind of set the scene for his authority into speaking into the Galatians' life. And then 
secondly, uh, we see that he is totally concerned with our freedom in Christ. These are two key themes that we see even from the beginning and stuff that we're going to explore as we continue. As it it continues from verse 6, and this is kind of getting to the crux of why he's writing this letter. He says, I am astonished that you Galatians are so quickly deserting the one who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who are confusing you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. Here we have the reason of his letter. Paul is writing this letter to truly recognize that there are some among them that are trying to turn them from seeing the true gospel, turning them to a different gospel. So these were, uh, were religious people. These were Christians that he's referencing, uh, a, a group of people called the Judaizers who uh, came as believers of, of Jesus, but who also believed in the power of the law and, and its importance. It was, it was this bonus package that you needed both the law and Jesus. But Paul is trying to say, no, it's Jesus alone. That's faith in Jesus Christ that actually transforms us. And we will continue to look at these, this amazing thing that Paul teaches. But we see here the reason for this letter is to recognize that there have been some that have totally turned the people here of these churches from to turning them to follow a different gospel. Bum, bum. This is not good. So Paul's writing this letter. And then it later says, in verse 10, we continue to read and discover a bit of what's going on. He says, am I now seeking human approval? Am I trying to appeal to you by human approval? Me as Paul, am I trying to appeal to you by this or God's approval? Or am I trying to please people? If I was still pleasing people, I would not be a servant of Christ. And here we have a thread of what is going on, that Paul's authority is not a people pleaser, but a servant of Christ. That this is the thread of where he's leading this letter and what he's calling to these people. He's, he's saying, yes, I've got authority and there's freedom of Christ. There may be some people who, who have turned and tried to shift what you thought of the gospel, but my authority is Paul writing to you. I am saying this. Because I am not a people pleaser. I'm not kind of dictated by what the world says and how people are considered. But I am a servant of Christ. A servant of Christ. This is not kind of, this, it's, it's someone who gives up. Someone who lays their life. I'm a servant of Christ. And so tonight we're having a look at how... Uh, we, in around us, all around us, in this, in this culture, there is a story of compromise that is going on. There's, uh, sorry, of com- comparison, not compromise. Of comparison. <laughs> yeah. we, there is a story of comparison that our culture is, is, and it's even stronger now today with social media, but comparison is such a big deal that we are constantly looking at other people for our approval, and our worth. So we're looking at how we look and seeing that, am I getting approval and worth by comparing ourselves to others? Now, if I think about my running expedition, me running, 
And if I, I've kind of I, I got it earlier on in my head that I can't compare myself to other people when it comes to my running. I just need to kind of continue building and work at what I've got. Because if I compare myself to Michael Hooker when it comes to running, we, I will be put to shame. This guy just ran last weekend a 40-hour race. 40 hours of running, people, where he ran 280, no, 268 kilometers over a span of 40 hours. His foot, there's like this lap thing that he does, and uh, it's like six, six point something kilometer lap. And uh, his quickest, sorry, his slowest lap out of those 40 hours was his first lap, his first one. And his quickest one was his second last one. He was, he was aiming for his last, but then it didn't quite work out. <laughs> Uh, but a machine who dominated, the, he won the race. And if I'm comparing my running abilities with Michael, then I'm going to be put to shame, okay? That's, that, that's not what I'm called to do. But I, I've learned that I can't compare myself to other great. I just need to figure out and keep building what I've got. And then if the same is when we compare ourselves to, to people who don't run as good as me. I can't kind of just go, oh, look how good I'm. I've, I've, I've made it. I can run faster than some other people. Uh, you know, I can't do that. Because <laughs> I'm not going to name people. <laughs> uh, I, can fast, I can run faster than Michaela, okay? Um, yeah. Uh, it's, that's not going to be helpful for me kind of building myself as well. But so often with this kind of the, what, what is going on in life is we are looking at the performance of others. We're looking at how others look and their outcomes and judging ourselves based on the performance of others and it kind of can, can dictate how, how we act and how we live, that we're trying to find our worth and value from what other people are doing. And uh, as I mentioned, social media has taken this to another level for us. And it's, it's difficult sometimes, and, and some, for me even as a pastor, you know, everything that's good is portrayed on social media, and so you're thinking, oh, you know, that church is doing amazing. Like the, it happens to all people that this, this comparison thing, you just need to get, sometimes you just need to get off social media, get out of it, uh, kind of log out, delete the app sometimes, uh, and just be free from that grip of social media comparison. But... Um, there is such a story of comparison that limits and, and kind of pulls us down into seeing the performance and outcomes of others. And it drives us into an, a, a level that is not helpful and is not healthy, that uh, kind of belittles people and doesn't help them, help them. And so what we see in comparison, when we have this as a key part of our lives, is it weakens the power of Christ. Comparison weakens the power of Christ and it focuses on the performance of others. That, that's what comparison has this ability to do. It weakens the power of Christ. That's why Paul is addressing this. He's trying to, to come at, at, at these people saying, I don't, have, I don't come from human authority. I'm not a people pleaser. I'm, I haven't been weakened by the power of Christ, but I have focused on and, and, and made it available. I am keen on what Jesus has done in my life because that, that's what comparison does is it, it uh, weakens the power of Christ so that we can focus on the performance of others and the key part of what comparison does is it actually breaks open pride in our lives the beautiful word the beautiful thing that happens in us pride 
and uh, something that I continue to wrestle with is pride. And something that we all wrestle with is pride. Now, C.S. Lewis, he says and talks about pride in comparison this way. He says, It is pride which has been the chief cause of misery in every nation and every family since the world began. Pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more of it than the next man. It is the comparison that makes you proud, the pleasure of being above the rest. Once the element of competition is gone, pride is gone. But there is this key thing that is going on in our lives that pride is affecting and changing us. And, and uh, we look at other people and go, I want that. And this pride is just working all around us. And Jesus often is talking about us as, as kind of helping his disciples to live in a humble way. And even in the Sermon on the Mount, as his first lines, he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. Blessed are the poor in spirit. This, this strange phrase, a phrase I, when I was a young adult, I, had to, I was like, what, what does this mean? This strange phrase of blessed is the poor in spirit. Someone who is humble and lowers themselves above, where we try as a culture, lift ourselves above other people. We are called as Christians to lower ourselves and be poor in spirit. Someone who submits what they think. Someone who submits their way and lives blessed the poor in spirit. The true flourishing of life is actually found as we humble ourselves and give over control of what we think of our worth and who we are. We continue to let God rule over that space in our lives. And so pride can kind of weave in and out of our lives. And I'm going to kind of give us seven questions. How do we actually figure out if we've got pride in our lives? <laughs> Here we go, guys. Get ready for these. How do we figure out if we've got pride in our lives? All right, number one is, are you easily offended? How do you respond when, uh, when something goes wrong? When someone wrongs you, when someone doesn't quite do good by you, how do you respond? Are you easily offended? Number two is, are you a people pleaser? Can you say no to people when they ask you to do something? Are you someone who just goes out to please people? Number three is, are you timid? This is not just like, is your personality an introvert or what? That's not about that. This is, are you not willing to confront people? Because when you don't confront situations, you're actually going, oh, that's too hard for me. Uh, this is about me. This pride is about, kind of, this is all about me. I can't quite confront that person because that's not, they're not going to like me anymore. And so we stay timid. Number four is, do you find it hard to apologize? That you, uh, you don't see yourself as doing wrong, but you just see, you know, you're, you're, in, you're all good. You, you do well. Number five, is this kind of, is, is it right, guys? You're doing right? <laughs> <laughs> Stab. Number five is, do you find a way to always bring the conversation back to yourself? It is all about me. Number six is, do you struggle with prayer? Here we go. You saying to God, I got this. I, I've got this, God. You don't, I don't, I, you know, I've, I can sort this out. And so you don't need to pray because you've got it all in control. And then number seven, if you say you don't struggle with any of these, you have pride. <laughs> it 
essentially this list is isn't just to beat you over the head isn't to make you feel bad this is we all have these things i have probably several there's only seven so i have <laughs> multiple of these things that i i have to deal with we all deal with and so pride it's just to help us to recognize that this is this is in us this is a part of our lives, and I'm not saying this to, again, make you feel bad, but I'm trying to actually get us aware of this is a real issue. This is something that we all have to deal with and something that we need to confront and realize that there is a better story that Jesus calls us into, that there, there may be a story of comparison and pride that goes on in our world, but Jesus calls us into a better story, a story where we're transformed by him, given new life, and we can actually combat and come against these things that continue to pull us down and make us feel like we're not good enough. We, can't, we actually have the answer to deal with this pride. It is to continue to bring it to Jesus. Amazing. This is good news, guys. This isn't just bad news. You're all bad. No, this is good news. Jesus is incredible. As we continue to read in uh, Galatians 1 from verse 11, Paul then says, For I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel that was proclaimed by me is not of human origin, but for I did not receive it from human source, nor was I taught it, but I, was, I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. But then Paul goes on to continue to share in, in the rest of the chapter. He shares about his past, what he, the kind of life he lived before becoming a Christian, before having the revelation of Jesus, that he was the ultimate Jew. He, had, he lived all the kind of practices and laws of Judaism. Uh, he was out persecuting Christians. He was the best Jew that you could get. He was amazing at doing Judaism stuff. But yet, he encountered Jesus Christ. He encountered Jesus, and it totally transformed him. And it's his encounter with Jesus that he talks about, that he, what he has taught, the gospel, the good news that he can share, was from an encounter, a revelation of Jesus it's him that truly changes us, that the way that we can come against the story and the uh, culture of comparison is to realize that it's Jesus that is the one that transforms us. It is Jesus that transforms us. And so we're going to think about how do we actually deal with the, the story of comparison? How do we deal with this? It's number one, we need to lean into Jesus. We need to lean into Jesus. Uh, Scott McKnight, in in a uh, great commentary of the book of Galatians, he says this, he says, If we distort the gospel in minimizing the centrality of Christ or the Spirit, we slip back into an age when Christ is not the rescuer and where the Spirit is not the one who brings us a life of freedom and life. <laughs> it's, does that say live for you as well? <laughs> a sense of freedom and live. It's, I think it's meant to be your life. Uh, Paul urges us to watch our gospel, lest it be transformed into a different gospel that prevents acceptance with God. That's what Paul is urging us to do, to watch how we think, what we think about Jesus and how we actually live, 
wrestling with the fact is, are we kind of living a different gospel? Have we fallen into the gospel of comparison? Have we fallen into what this culture has, has kind of put on us? And is that how we live in our gospel, kind of comparing our Christian walks or, or comparing what we think is success and thinking that we're doing okay, but Paul is urging us to go, have we actually been transformed actually by Christ and the Spirit, or are we just living in a different way, a different gospel, that we're called to lean into him and realize that we, in this leaning into him, we are called to decentralize our ego. That's the, the kind of the ego that we have centralized in ourselves. Our, it's all about me. We need to decentralize that and centralize Christ. This is what this leaning means, that we actually are called to decentralize, continue to, to pull apart our, our ego and the things that we want out of life, the things that we think is necessary, going after our thing, decentralize this continually so that we can centralize and lean into Christ, lean into him who wants to transform us. And when, uh, when I was learning to ride a motorbike from the great Mr. Michael Clark, who just walked out of the, the room, <laughs> great timing, uh, uh, he was my instructor for learning how to ride a motorbike. But what, what, one of the things he was saying when we were learning how to ride is when you try and turn a, tur- a, a, a corner, you actually need to look at the corner that you're turning into. The, the, in order for you actually to make a, a proper turn, you don't actually look at your bike. You're not supposed to look at your bike. Isn't this right, Michael? <laughs> you're not meant to look at your bike, but we're actually meant to look at the corner of which you are turning. And so if you're looking at your bike, you're not actually going to make a, a turn wide enough and you're not going to quite make it. But if you look at the, the corner that you're turning, it's just going to be this smooth, nice little easy thing. I passed my test, so thanks, Michael. You're amazing. <laughs> uh, but this is so what, a, what it's about. We, we think that we're actually meant to, we, we think we're like, I, I need to be concerned with what's going on in my life. I need to be concerned with how I'm looking, how my approval, what, what my success, my career looks like, what my family looks like. We're so concerned looking at the bike that is in front of us, but Jesus is continually calling us to look at the corner, look at him, to lean into who he has called us to be, to lean into how he has called us to live. This is what it means to decentralize our ego and to centralize Christ. When we're called to lean in on him, he calls us to look off our motorbike, look off our lives, take a a look off what we think we need and the control. We, We just grab a hold of control of our lives and we just run with it. But God is continually calling us to look at that corner and to just trust him. It's a scary thing sometimes. This step of faith, this life of trust that we as co- are called as Christians to live is scary because like what if something shakes in your motorbike and you're not quite looking? It's, you need to just trust that he has got it in control. Trust that his leaning into him will lead us to trueness and fullness of life. Leaning into him will transform us that we can never go wrong with doing more prayer. I can just guarantee you that. We can never go wrong in, in learning and trying to figure out more of the Bible and learning the Scriptures and trying to let God help us and transform us. We can never do enough of that. 
We're always challenged to, to, to do more. I'm always challenged to do more because that leaning actually changes us, actually transforms us. And so this is what it means to lean in and to let him decentralize our ego so that we can centralize Christ. And as we do that, as we kind of fight to have prayer, to have the Word of God, to have community, kind of making church and making dinner church a priority, as we fight for these things, then our relationships around us will be shaped by who Christ is and His presence, that, that our careers will find meaning and importance because we will see the kingdom value in it. We will see that God is, God is with me. He's called me in this career. He's called me in this job to, to actually bring life. It's not just something that I'm earning money for or, or kind of passing the time, but I actually have a, a meaning and purpose as He has called me in this place, that our identity is truly found and, and secure and rooted because we have this leaning, that there is the injustice of, of the things around us, that that becomes significant and important because of this leaning. The trueness of who we can really be comes alive as we discover and lean into who Christ has called us to be. Lean into him. So let's, let's lean in. And that looks like so many things. So many things that we can do to actually take action and lean into him. I, I've, I've written, a, I've put it together a little guide, like I do usually, a little um, devotional type guide uh, of some, some different things that we can do this week that will be available um, at one of the tables after the service that you can grab. Uh, just some things, and uh, one of them I mentioned last week with there's, there's this app that I've really been enjoying uh, called the One Minute Pause app. Uh, and just kind of it, it creates and sets alarms uh, twice a day for you to just stop for 60 seconds and, and narrates this, this thing where this, um, the guy, uh, John Eldridge, says uh, these, these beautiful words and has this nice kind of classical music and just it has a picture of, of um, a cliff face and a waterfall just takes you out of the moment for just 60 seconds to actually kind of just go, okay, things have been hectic, but it narrates this thing saying, Jesus, I give everything and everyone to you. And just well, all, the, all that's going on right now, you know, it's gonna, I have to, in 60 seconds, go back to it. But just for these 60 seconds, I just give it to you. And just this, it's been really helpful for me. I know it can, like, yeah. So that's just one thing that you could potentially do. Um, there's, you know, there's... Yeah, there's more things that are outlined. And then also, not this coming week, but the, the following week, uh, as part of Hepburn Heights, and then we at North Perth will we'll be doing, uh, we've got a week of prayer, which is just amazing. It's the incredible weeks, these weeks of prayer, where we allow space and actually determine to go, you know what, I, I'm going to set some things this week. In that week to go, God, I, I'm going to seek you and search hard after you. And so there are going to be prayer times available. Um, we'll send some details out, uh, what we're going to be doing from North Firth and, um, and what's available through uh, HH, from, through Happen Heights, our main campus. Uh, so, yeah, let's set our minds for what God can do in our lives in this week, to, to lean into him and to make space for him to truly change us. It's good. So this is, this is the first thing that we are called to do to combat the story of comparison is to lean into him. Secondly, we're called to give grace to others. 
just as Jesus has given his grace to us, we are continually called to forgive and give grace to others. Even in that list of things that you find as a prideful place in you, let's recognize that we have issues. We've got things going on, and so let's continue to find and and see where people have kind of upset us and frustrated us. Let's keep looking to give grace to others. And it's so important for us as Christians to keep our eyes open and aware of where we get annoyed and frustrated at people to actually show grace and show love and mercy to others and be there for others. Uh, and just even as, as Paul mentions in, in the scripture that I mentioned, he, he says, now brothers and sisters, he has this, this deep love for these people of the churches of Galatia. He, he was a part of planting these churches. They may have gone astray and followed another gospel, but he has this deep love for these people going, come on, I, I, I so believe in you. I want you to, to understand the good news of Jesus. And so let's continue to show and give grace to others just as Jesus continues to do that for us. And in our way of, of experiencing pride, that Jesus is there for us. Jesus is there for us.